Let's open our Bibles to the book of Proverbs. The verse that I'd like to share this morning is in chapter 20, verse 5, which says, Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. I've entitled the morning's message, Wise Witnessing. I'm going to have you think about the first time that you made an attempt to actually share your faith and tell somebody about Jesus. Now, right before we came out, I went around the room, and I said, I started with Lane, and I said, who's the first person you ever talked to? He says, his dad. I said, how'd it go? Not well. Carol Botts, on the other hand, she told me the first person she ever shared the gospel with accepted the Lord and got saved. And it was mixed reviews as we went around, and everybody was trying to remember who was the first person that they talked to. But everybody had a different experience. Mine was, uh, you know, I got saved listening to uh, Billy Graham. That, that was easy. The Lord just broke me like a baby. And yet I was aware that what went along with being a Christian meant you had to tell people because of, I, I knew enough about it. And so I was reluctant, and this, especially one-on-one. Maybe I could handle that, but public speaking, that's definitely not going to happen. So me and the Lord had an arrangement early on. I'm going to get saved, but none of this public speaking stuff. Well, <laughs> look how long that lasted. It gets to a point where you just can't keep it in. And when, when you're hungry and you find bread and you look around at your friends and, and they just don't have it, you can't help but doing it. And that I did not understand. So the Bible talks about having a zeal but not without knowledge. And many, especially in our younger days of being a new believer, we have that zeal, but we don't have the knowledge of the scriptures or the tact as this is what um, Proverbs 25 is. This is using tact. Counsel in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. We're gonna take this and relate it to witnessing this morning. And um, hopefully it will encourage you. Um, I just glance over at Mel and Linda. You can't go anywhere with these two. And whoever, whoever you happen to run into, they're going to get witness too. It's just the way they are. And I commend you guys for that. And um, uh, now why did I do that? I lost my train of thought, Mel. It's your problem. I thought your fault this morning. <laughs> no, it's um, on Wednesday night, the whole idea of uh, drawing out wisdom is actually assessing who you're talking to. And the example that I used on Wednesday evening was King Solomon. Uh, he, he felt inadequate, so he asked God for wisdom. And the first time that wisdom was put on display when he was king was a couple of harlots. Both had children. They lived in the same house. And one of the women rolled over on her baby at, at night and it died. And she went over and took the other one who also just had a child. And uh, she said, that's my baby. But when the mother realized that the dead baby wasn't hers, now they have an argument. They bring it before Solomon. So Solomon has to, to um, draw out, using his wise counsel, which one is the real mother. And she said... Um, of course, both claimed, baby's mine. The other one said, no, it's not, it's my baby. The other one go back and said, no, it's my baby. So this was going on. Tit for tat. Solomon said, bring me a sword. And he says, I want you to cut the baby in two, give half to this one, give half to that one. Well, immediately, 
of course, the real mother's heart goes out. And she says, no, 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 don't, don't kill the baby. Give it, give it to the other one. But the other woman said, I don't care. Cut it in half. And Solomon just looks at the woman and says, that's the real mother. Give it to her. Now, that's an example of drawing out how to get to the truth. So we use that as an example on Wednesday evening. I'm going to use a different one this morning from the New Testament, and it's in John chapter 4. So we'll be going a couple of places from here, but we're pretty much going to go chapter by, verse by verse through this chapter this morning. And we will look at a New Testament example of Jesus drawing out the innermost thoughts of a woman who had questions deep, deep down inside. Life had been hard on her. It's been a very difficult road. She had become introverted. And um, as we look at Jesus dealing with this woman, we're going to find out how he gets her to open up. John chapter 4, we're going to read the first three verses, and I'll give you a little historical background of the Samaritans. So chapter 4, verse 1, 1 through 3. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made more um, and baptized more disciples than John, uh, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Now, um, all the attention was um, no longer on John, but Jesus was the problem. Jesus, not wanting to con- have a confrontation with the Pharisees at this time, he leaves uh, Judea and he goes back to um, the Galilee. Now, ordinarily, almost without exception. You go down to Jericho and you follow the, that rift all the way up along next to the Jordan River back up to the Galilee. Um, Israel is divided into three sections in Jesus' time. You would have had Judah in the south. You would have had Galilee in the north. And uh, you would have had Samaria in the middle. And a Jew wouldn't take the straight shot. They would not go through Samaria but they would actually walk around it. And the reason that they would walk around it is because of the Samaritans. Well, who are they, and how did they get there, and what's their heritage? In 722 BC, Syria invaded Israel and captured the 10 northern tribes. Much of the Old Testament talks about um, Jeroboam revolting after Solomon and Rehoboam being in the south. And um, he set up the two golden calves, an idolatry, and it was only a matter of time, and the Lord would judge um, the ten northern tribes. And the instrument he used in 722 B.C. was Syria. What they did, the Syrians sent back uh, men and women back in to intermarry with the Jews. And so now you have Jews marrying Syrians, Uh, They were half Jewish and half Syrians, and they were called Samaritans. So this is where Samaritans come from. The Jews would not allow them to worship in Jerusalem, and as a result, the Samaritans developed their own worship on a place called Mount Gerizim. The Samaritans taught the people that the Garden of Eden was on Mount Gerizim, that Noah's Ark came to rest not on Ararat, but on Mount Gerizim. Abraham offered Isaac on Mount Gerizim. 
And so this was just heresy as far as any Jew was concerned. And so as a result, the Jews had no dealings in any way, shape, or form with the Samaritans. Now, let's read verses four and five. But he needed, and this is interesting, Jesus said, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Um, Here's something that, you know, I'm sure the disciples are, are a little confused that the Lord would go, actually go through Samaria, but he uses the word must. I must go to Samaria. And um, if you look at uh, verse four here, um, he told his disciples he had to do it, but the reason he had to do it is he knew ahead of time that there was a divine appointment waiting for him at this particular well. One of the main points in John chapter four is an excellent, very excellent example on how to share our faith, especially in this situation, because that is exactly what Jesus is going to do at this point. Let's read verses six through nine. Now Jacob's well was there, Jesus, therefore being weary from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was the sixth hour, so we're talking noon, heat of the day. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus strikes up a conversation. He says, give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman, a Samaritan, said to him, how is it that you being a Jew Ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. But I wanted to give you the reasons why. Uh, so I gave you a little bit of the background. A Samaritan is a Samaritan, they're half-breeds. And they completely corrupted uh, true doctrine by saying Mount Garrison is the place that all this stuff happened. And uh, we don't get along. What, what, what are you talking to me for? And she uses the term here, and I want you to make note of it, the first time the conversation starts, you're a Samaritan, I'm a Jew, what are we talking for? And so, but he breaks the ice by, by asking um, um, if he could have this drink of water. And here we have, going to be four points to this message this morning, and here's, here's the first one. The woman is surprised. She's caught off guard. How is it? What are you doing here? What's going on? And uh, the first principle that we want to learn about witnessing, actually Paul talks about it. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 9 that we are to become all things to all men that we might win some. And this is our first sidetrack this morning, so let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and we'll see where Paul talks about this. Beginning with verse 19, yes. Corinth is an interesting place, very ungodly place, very immoral place. But he wants to win them to the Lord. So picking it up, he explains in verse 19, he says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jew, well, I become a Jew, that I might win Jews to those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. 
to those who are without the law, Gentiles, as without law, not being without law towards God, but under law towards Christ. Why? That I might win those who are without the law. So he's witnessing to Jews and Gentiles. To the weak, well, then I become weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I by all means may save some. So here we have Jesus striking up this conversation. Let me give you a a practical example where Paul uh, does this in uh, Mars Hill in in Athens. So next place is uh, Acts chapter 17. And he puts what he's talking about here is a pretty good example of an an Acts chapter 17. Let's pick it up in verse 16. We call it Paul's sermon on Mars Hill. Our guide was, uh, her expertise was uh, Greek mythology. Her name was Helen. And we were only there for a couple days. And so everywhere we went, every spot, she would explain what Greek god was here and what he was and what his purpose was, whether it was um, Hercules or Apollo or whatever. And we couldn't wait for her to quit talking and we could have a Bible study. So I actually gave, got to give a Bible study on Mars Hill, but we were so sick of our guide, Helen, that we gave her a nickname. We called her Myth Helen. Because she had a lot of myths about her. So Myth Helen, we were glad to see her go. But um, having said that, we went to the A spot where this, we actually went here. And I believe me, the Bible comes alive when you're on Mars Hill and you're able to give a Bible study there. Every, every Bible teacher's dream to be able to say, I was on Mars Hill and I taught out of Acts chapter 17. So now, verse 60, now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, the spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given completely over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentiles and the worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then came certain Epicureans and Stoic philosophers, and they encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, well, he seems to be, be a proclaimer of uh, some foreign gods because he preaches of them that Jesus and uh, something about a resurrection and they took him and he brought him to the Acropolis, uh, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent all of their time uh, doing nothing but either to tell or to hear some new thing. So then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus, and said, Men of Athens, well, I perceive that in all things that you're very religious. So he doesn't come off and say, you guys are a bunch of heathens looking at all these idols around here. No, he tries to get them to open up. He wants to draw them out. So what does he do? He says, you guys seem to be pretty religious people. Um, I was passing through and I considered the objects of your worship, all these pagan um, deities, and I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. 
Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I want to talk a little bit about that one. And he says, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life and breath and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined that there is a pre-appointed time and the boundaries of habitation so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and we have our being, as also some of your own poets. Now this is interesting. I like to, I like to quote Simon and Garfunkel. I think it's one of the great lines uh, uh, in, in, that can be used in ministry from the boxer. It's very true about human nature. And that is, man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. Isn't that true? Mostly men hear what they want to hear, and then they'll disregard if they don't agree with you. That's what Paul's doing here. Um, The other one, Peter and Gordon. Um, I don't want to stay in a world that um, doesn't have love, a world world without love. I'm really dating myself. Everybody over 50 is understanding exactly what I'm talking about. Everybody undergoing, what's he talking about? Anyway, he uses one of their own poets Now, what does this do? Well, he's just being wise. He's drawing them out. They're not blowing him off. He has their attention. And so, um, also one of your own poets has said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or something shaped by man and man's um, devices. Truly, these things of ignorance God overlooked, but now, now he's getting to the gospel, but now he commands, not suggests, all men everywhere to repent. Repent? What's that mean, as we're wondering? Because he has appointed a day of which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, well, they were listening up to this point. And they said, now hold on just a second. At this point, some began to mock. While others said, well, we'll hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysius, the uh, um, Aragopite, a woman named uh, Damaris, and others with them. So by just stepping out, and he says, well, let's just talk about this statue over here. When the gospel's presented, that's what happens. Some will, you'll win some, and some will mock and, um, and say that you're crazy. So the first point uh, that I'll make this morning about being a wise witnesser is realize who you're talking to. What's their temperament? What's going to draw them, draw them in? Interesting that when we look at Jesus, he's going to speak to a thirsty woman about living water. 
he talked to an aged Nicodemus about being born again. To the blind man, he was the light of the world. And to his disciples, who were fishermen, he said, come and I'm gonna make you fishers of men. He gravitated to something they could identify with and would draw them in. And uh, let's go back to uh, John chapter 4 and see how Jesus does this with this woman. She comes in the heat of the day. That should get you thinking right away. You, You collect your water early in the morning when it's not so hot. I was moving some things this, this last week. I had one of the brothers in the fellowship helping me. And I said, let's do it early. Because if we can get it done by noon, <laughs> it's just smarter. And we'll, we'll get the job done. And, but here she's doing this in the heat of the day. And he starts up this conversation with her. Let's read uh, 10 through 15 at this point. And Jesus answered and said to her, well, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, well, you would have asked him and he would have given you living waters. Um, so this is um, her response to this in verse 11. The woods, woman said to him, sir. Now I want you to notice that we went from Jew to sir, okay? From we don't talk, to now she's involved in dialogue, talking with the Lord and saying, well, you don't have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where are you gonna get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty. But the water that I will give him will become like a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me some of this water that I may not thirst nor continue to draw. Well, now they not only are having dealings, she's actually coming right out and says, I'll take it. And... Um, Before the Lord can move on any farther, he stops the discussion about the water. And he says, okay, but before we do this, verse 16, he says, I want you to go call your husband and come here. Now, I love the Gospel of John because almost without exception, whoever he encounters, he knows everything about that person everything. And here's one of my favorite examples is this story with the woman at the well. He knows full well she's not married right now. And uh, yet he asks her. So he's asking this uh, to prick her conscience, to actually bring about some conviction in her soul. Because before she can receive and be saved and have the living water of the Holy Spirit inside you, she has to repent of her sins. Point is, there is no conversion without conviction. She has to be convicted. So the Lord changes the subject completely. Says, okay, go call your husband. And I can just hear her going, um, 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 uh, husband, yeah, right. Uh, um, She says, well, I don't have a husband. 
And Jesus looked at her and says, well, you're telling the truth. Uh, let's see, you've been married five times, and uh, uh, you're living with somebody right now, so I suppose you're telling me the truth that you have no husband. Conviction just set in. Here, she was living with a man. Been married five times before. Why was she coming out at noon? Oh, she had that reputation. And um, with that reputation is shame and guilt. Jesus said, we need to go to Samaria. There's a woman up there that needs me. There's a woman up there who's in bondage. There's a woman up there who needs to be set free. And I'm gonna go and set her free. So that's why he had to go there. But she had to come to this place and she's realizing nobody knew that. Nobody knew about uh, five, maybe four, but nobody knew. Maybe she was sleeping with this guy on the side and uh, he's, he's just passing through town. How does he know all these things? But what it did produce is Jesus, what I want you to see here, what's our proverb? Counsel in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. What's he doing? He's drawing her out. And she's opening up. She's not closing up. We got a little pause in the witnessing here because all of a sudden there's a a conscience prick that she's living in sin. You know, everybody knows our culture and uh, is going downhill very, very quickly. Nobody thinks twice about um, people living together before marriage. It's, it's become so acceptable in, in, uh, in our society. But we just got back from, a, um, you know, from Arizona. And it was interesting because our, our female bus driver uh, was a Christian, or at least she said she was. And I was sitting up front with Judy and, and uh, Russ Miller, the guide, and we were talking about the Lord, and she'd jump in and tell some of her stories about the Lord. Um, the problem was she had her boyfriend along with us, and he was sitting in the back of uh, the bus. He'd never been to the Grand Canyon, and he just wanted in. Well, they were sharing their hotel rooms that night. We knew they weren't married. She's told us she's a Christian, and I don't know where this guy's at. And... Um, People are starting to talk on, on, on the tour. And so when we got to one of the places, I said, hey, look, I just need to talk to you guys for a couple minutes here. And um, I said, you're a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian. And um, what about this guy? And complete silence at this point. And um, I said, you know what you're doing isn't right. And then it got real quiet and real awkward real quick. And then she spoke, and she told me, she says, you know, I wake up every morning feeling guilty. And I told her, how would you like to wake up every morning and not feel guilty? I looked at the guy, I said, do you love her? And he says, yes, I do. And I looked at her, and I said, do you love him? She says, yes, I do. And I said, then why don't you get married? And if you're really a man, and you know that she's waking up feeling miserable every morning, why do you let her feel miserable if you really love her? And they just, deer in the headlights, look, that makes sense. <laughs> and we left it at that, and I, I have to tell you, I don't know whatever became of it. But I had to say something. And uh, so Jesus had to say something here. But I'm, I'm believing and praying that the Lord's gonna bring about the right place in this, 
this woman that would wake up every single morning uh, with this uh, conviction that he had. Jesus now has um, her attention. How did he know? Uh, she's sleeping with a man, unmarried. God knows everything. And he's just pulling something out that he knows about her that's gonna bring about conviction. Turn with me to John chapter 16. This is absolutely necessary because this is much of the gospel. Today, the emphasis isn't on repentance. And without repentance, there can be no real salvation. I need to say that again. Without conviction, there is no conversion. You have to be convicted. In John chapter 16, let me draw your attention to verse 8. Jesus is saying it's absolutely necessary that he goes back to heaven. And then in verse 8, he talks about the Holy Spirit. He's going to send him. In verse 8, and when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The main purpose for an unrepentant sinner is to convict that person of their sin so they can then receive the living water. So as we're looking, uh, Jesus said in Luke 13, verse three, I tell you, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Repentance has to be the, the first place that we go if we're gonna talk about witnessing to people and we have to make them aware that they've fallen short of the glory of God. Um, I, I try to soften things up by saying, wherever you were at in your past, I bet you 100 bucks my life was worse. And um, uh, that usually, because some people know I'm, I'm a pastor, I wasn't always a pastor. <laughs> and if, after 40 years of going to high school reunions, my high school friends still don't believe it, but <laughs> I'm still pressing on anyway. And uh, my point here is this is exactly what the Lord is doing. All right, let's go back to John chapter four. And now, after he told her something that nobody else knew, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. You're talking about things that only a man of God would know. Do you see how she is opening up? Jew, sir, now prophet? Oh, he's gaining in some stature with this gal. What's he doing? He is drawing her out. A counsel of the heart of man is like deep waters, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Verse 20. Here, deep down inside of her, she had questions about worship, about God. Whether people will admit it or not, Um, deep down inside, they have questions about God. They watch Christians very, very closely. Deep down inside, oh, the, the questions are there, but to draw them out, that's what the Lord is doing right here. Notice, our father worshiped on this mountain. Well, I told you which one that was, remember? Mount Gerizim. This is where we worship. And you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place that we ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming 
and now is that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Verse four, Jesus says, guys, we have to go to Samaria. What for? Well, you'll find out when we get there. He had to go to Samaria. Why? God was seeking out this woman at the well. He knew she would be there at high noon. And in in ages past, he had a divine appointment in Samaria at high noon, and he was gonna have a conversation with a woman who was living with conviction and guilt on her on a daily basis. That's why she was there at noon. And Jesus went there to seek her out. What does it say there? Seeking such to worship him. This woman's gonna become a real witnesser and a real worshiper. So, again, the Lord, with his wisdom, is drawing her out. Now 21 to 24. At this point, all this is going on, oh, I'm sorry, verse 25 and 26. Now the real question. Oh, the word's out that someday the Messiah is gonna come. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. And when he comes, what he's gonna do is he will tell us all things. Don't you think that she has a little sneaking suspicion right about now? How he knows everything about her? And she's looking at him. Never a man spoke like this man. And never a man knew what this man knew. Could it be she's feeling to see if he'll say anything about it. And so Jesus looks right at her and says, I who speak to you am he. And I wanna tell you, she got converted and she believed it right on the spot because nobody could do what Jesus had just done for her. And at that point, as all is going on, the disciples come up. And um, when uh, the disciples comes up, she believes and we're told that we talk, he was talking with a woman and uh, yet no one said, why, why do you, what do you seek or what are you talking with her? See, a rabbi uh, could not be alone with a woman. And plus Jews and Samaritans, that awkwardness, they knew about that. What are you doing talking to this Samaritan girl? And besides, you're a rabbi, you're not supposed to be alone with one anyway. And the woman then left her water pots and went into the city and said to the men, I mean, already she's gonna start witnessing, come and see, just come and see. Come and see a man who, could, who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Well, she's already believed that it is. Then they went out of the city and came to him. She's in witnessing in the city. As a result, people are following her back out to where Jesus is at the well. And in the meantime, the disciples began to urge Jesus to eat something. And he says, guys, don't worry about it. I have food to eat of which you don't know about. Therefore, the disciples said to him, has anybody given him something to eat? And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And this goes back to when he was 12 years old. And... uh, Joseph and Mary couldn't find him. They go back to Jerusalem, and here he is teaching the Pharisees. And uh, they said, son, we've been worried to death about you. And all the Lord would say was, don't you know that it must be about my father's business? Do not say there are still four months, and then comes the harvest. 
Behold, I say to you, lift your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for the harvest. Now here is um, the missionary uh, verses that we use. The fields are white unto the harvest. And what Jesus is saying here, the real purpose of life, the real reason that you're here, number one, is to know your creator. He's actually seeking you. Uh, He will not override your free will. Um, When Paul was in Athens, some used their free will and they mocked. Other used their free will and they became believers. When uh, Jesus is using this famous missionary verse, he says, look out there. Every one of us sitting here have our own fields that we look out over. What's interesting to me about this story is that he's pointing to a Samaritan village, the ones that nobody would have anything to do with. He says, there's the harvest field right there. And um, the real purpose of life is not uh, eating. The real purpose of life is being about our father's business. I haven't asked for an amen yet this morning. Now's a good time for one. You can do better than that. The real purpose of life is not to eat food. The real purpose of life is to be about our Father's business. I'll give you one more chance. Thank you very much. I will continue now. (laughs) To be a wise witnesser for Jesus Christ. Some of us, maybe you've never witnessed to a person in your life. It's really not as difficult as you think. You never know in simply saying and asking a person, no, are you right with God? My dad and John Higgins would go every Saturday morning. They'd actually go door to door. They had a great opening line that would disarm people. person would come to the door and they just said, well, you know, we're just here. We just want to know, is there anything that we can pray for you about? And you just never know. Dad tells stories of people being on the verge of suicide and other stories of, of uh, if you only knew the hell that I'm going through in my life right now and you knock on my door and ask if somebody can pray for me. Sure, they got the door slammed in their face lots of times. But it's that one that uh, the day before somebody was witnessing to him in the park that, um, all right, I'll, can I tell one story and let you go? Okay, true story. Um, John and my dad, they go out in teams and they end up in Mesa, Arizona and they end up talking to two Mormons. And uh, dad and this other guy over a period of an hour lead these two to the Lord. They're born again right on the spot. And as they're getting ready to leave, their son who ran away from home previous week is all excited and he's coming home um, and he says mom dad I just got to tell you what happened to me and he says no we have to tell you what happened to us first and they said we just gave our life to Jesus Christ these guys that are sitting here and the guy who came in he says those same two guys talked to me last week at a park and I accepted Jesus Christ And I'm coming home to tell you that I'm a Christian and I'm not a Mormon anymore. 
Now, it blesses my heart because it was my dad, you know? That, uh, yeah, you can clap. That's a great story. (laughs) But, you know, that is what you call a divine appointment. And what did they do? They knocked on the door and said, is there anything we could pray for you about? Well, our son took off last week. He ran away from home. Pray for that. Who knows what, what, what brought it along? Just don't be afraid. Uh, Matthew 10 says, Behold, I'm going to send you out as sheep amidst wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and be harmless as doves. In other words, use a little tact. Know who you're talking to. Be willing to become all things to all people. And once you get the conversation going, let them get to the place where they start asking questions. There's a time to speak. And then there's a time to just shut up and let them get the stuff out that's way deep down inside. A man of understanding is tactful in their witnessing. And as long as I'm on this subject, some people aren't, okay? And um, I'm upset with this Baptist church that goes around and has these hate signs up against either people that aren't pro-life or are homosexuals. God hates you and you're going to hell. Well, that's sure going to warm them up, right? That's going to cause them to want to hear about the real love of God. God loves them. Such were some of you and so were I. But we found this amazing grace that God extended to us. And so the idea of, of being wise in, in all of this. All right, verses 36 through 38 is, He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For this is a true saying, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. Yesterday during men's prayer, one of the guys said they went out with another brother, did some street witnessing on College Avenue, and um, they wanted prayer. And um, I said, I'm going to be talking about this tomorrow morning. You're giving me something to work off of here. I said, uh, what you did last night, you were sowing seeds. And they said, they sensed the Lord was with them and going with them all the way. And uh, I said, how do you don't know that tomorrow somebody's going to come up and uh, start witnessing to them? And they have to go, well, this just happened to me yesterday. Now another person, what's going on here? Now somebody else is talking to me today. I've seen that happen so many times where it's been one, two, three days in a row where somebody says, this is the strangest thing because somebody was just talking to me about Jesus just just yesterday. There should be incentive. The incentive here is Jesus is saying, if you do this, um, uh, there is actually rewards that come. One of the greatest rewards, Daniel says, those who are wise will shine like the stars forever. You might lead a person to Christ and they're going to be eternally grateful that you shared the gospel with them. And if you've done it to a lot of people, then you're really going to shine. People who, who are forever grateful for you. Let me put a plug in for the twos and threes. And um, uh, being involved with ministry at, at, at that age. There's rewards in heaven for that. And it should be incentive to, to want to get involved and, and to um, invest Uh, in our young kids. Proverbs 11, verse 30 says, he who wins souls is wise. All right, 39 through 
Yep, I got time. 39 through 42. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman. So we have one woman who gets saved. She goes back into town, and because of her testimony, uh, because of the word of the woman, believed. And he told me all that I ever did. And so when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and the Lord did. He said, would you stay here for a couple days and tell us more about this? And so the Lord does. Jesus said, if somebody asks you to go a mile with them, how does the rest part say? Go an extra mile with them. It was required. If a Roman soldier came up to you and said, pick up my backpack, you're required to take it a mile. Jesus said, if somebody um, asks you to take it a mile, double down. Do it for two miles. Be a good witness. And many more believe because of his own word. So you have some people that are believing just because of her personal testimony, but other ones wanted to hear it for themselves. And when they heard Jesus speak, they became believers too. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Four points as we close up this morning in sharing your faith. Number one, be willing to become all things to all people. Just assess who you're talking to. Try to be on their level, not above them, not beneath them. Number two, realize that it's wrong to say, if you just bow your heart and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, you're saved. That's not true. Without repentance, there's no forgiveness. So point number two, there is no conversion without conviction. A person has to be convicted of their sins. Jesus said, unless you repent, you can't be saved. So in witnessing, the person has to be made aware that what they're doing is wrong. Our, our gal bus driver, you know, she knew. And she lowered her head when I asked her about it. She says, I wake up guilty every morning. And the Lord wants to set her free. But she has to make that situation right. Let's pray that she did. Number three is that uh, is really our proverb this morning. He draws out questions she has about God. Oh, they were deep down inside. But what does the Proverbs tell us? Counsel of the heart of man is like deep waters, deep down inside, but a man of understanding will draw it out and just bring that person, allow them to open up rather than close up. And it really depends on um, just using the Lord's wisdom in all of this. Last verse I'll give you is, is Matthew 10, verse 16. He says, behold, I'm gonna send you out as sheep. That's all we are, just sheep unprofitable servants that have been saved by the grace of God into the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and be harmless as doves. May God bless the teaching of his word to your heart this morning. Let's stand and we will close with a word of prayer. Lord, as we make our way through the scriptures and we thank you for your word this morning and um, Lord, just the, the tact and the wisdom that you put on display for us as you sought out this woman, knowing that she was hurting inside, knowing that you could set her free, but also realizing that she had to come to a point of conviction 
of her living with this man and getting that right. But she did simply believe on you and she became a witness. Lord, as we continue through your word, we pray for opportunities to be salt and light and uh, help us understand Jesus' words that our real food, our real work, and our real purpose in life is to do the work of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.